Welcome to Stories of Faith and Hope, the podcast that inspires your faith and gives you reason to hope. I'm your host, Joel Sutherland. Well, can you believe it? Here we are already into the first week of December. I know Chelsea and I have been stringing up Christmas lights, decorating our tree, watching Christmas movies, listening to Christmas music, including the album Love's Pure Light, which is a beautiful Christmas album from our guest this week, Laura Whitten. She has a unique story. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when she was quite young, but she didn't let that stop her from pursuing her dreams. Today, she works to bring awareness to mental health challenges through her music ministry. You're going to enjoy my conversation with Laura right here on Stories of Faith and Hope. Laura, welcome to Stories of Faith and Hope. Thanks, Joel. Glad to be here. So you are an artist. Um, you have several albums out and uh, some incredibly good music. I've listened to a little bit of it. Um, but uh, tell us just a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what's your background, um, just generic get-to-know-you kind of stuff. Well, I am the youngest of three. And yes, my two older brothers uh, made my life difficult, mostly <laughs> <laughs> they're they're mostly really good to me. Uh, anyway, my daddy was a minister and my mom was a music teacher. So I was really lucky that daddy had the stage and mom had the know-how. So we started performing when I was three. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and my mom likes to talk about the first time I performed at camp meeting. I looked out over like the 2000 people and I swallowed hard like, mm, and then I said, I am a promise. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So it was kind of you, you had really no choice about what your career was going to be. You were you were destined for music. Well, when I was little, so I'm 43. So this is the you'll know how little I was. But when somebody asked my mom when I was like four, what do you what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I either want to be Amy Grant or Strawberry Shortcake. So <laughs> <laughs> those are the options <laughs> those are the options <laughs> awesome so what kind of did you have a moment in in maybe your teen years or something where you were questioning this and and you decided no I'm going to stick with music or was it basically as long as you can remember that was your your goal it was always what I wanted to be um but for a long time I really struggled with it because I thought it was oh this is me just trying to be famous and mm. I don't want to be famous I want everybody to see Jesus and so I kept telling Jesus like don't worry I'm willing to quit music and it took me till I was like 25 before he said can you not imagine that I would have put this desire in your heart mm-hmm. that that desire might be from me Mm-hmm. And I was just blown away like, oh, this what I most want could be what you've always wanted for me. Huh. So, yeah, that was a <laughs> long road. And here we are. Wow. Wow. And it's so true. I, I remember I had a friend when I was growing up and and they felt like they should do something that they didn't want to do because obviously God was calling <laughs> them to that instead of what they wanted to do. And, and I remember thinking, isn't God the one who puts these desires in our hearts? <laughs> exactly we just assume we assume he's going to call us to something that feels like a huge sacrifice and we're going to endure our calling i i yes does he call us to do hard things sometimes does he call us to give up stuff we want to keep sometimes Mm -hmm. but i really feel like for the big things that matter he's calling us to do what we love yeah 
Yeah, I completely agree. And it's given you a platform now um, to talk a lot about mental health and, and, and stuff like that. And you have a very personal journey with, with mental health. Tell us a little bit about um, your initial diagnosis with bipolar and, uh, and maybe the signs before your, your diagnosis. What, what kind of led up to that? Uh, um, so when I was 12, things started getting weird. You know, I was always like a really, uh, a people pleaser in the, in the sweetest sense of the word. Like I really wanted people to like me. I wanted to do what was expected of me. I wanted to bring people joy. Um, and when I turned 12, I just suddenly like, I couldn't sleep. I'm 12 years old. And I would be like wide awake in the basement trying to listen to Jesus vinyl records to like calm me down. And I started having like really heavy, like religious difficulties. So Mm -hmm. I would lie awake thinking of all my sins, which the worst sins I could think of is like, I took a dime off of my dad's change pile once when I was four. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Wow. I grew my My home was really stable. I had it really good growing up. And so my list of sins were just so tiny, but I believed like that they were, that they were huge. And that, you know, so when I was 12, my parents told me later that some of our church members, it was actually a husband and wife team who were both psychiatrists. And I've talked to them since as well. And they said, this was such a difficult decision for us. We prayed about it a lot, but we went, th- we went to your parents and we told them, we think Laura might have an illness. And my parents are like, yeah, they came to us. They told us that. And we said, they don't know what they're talking about. And, and, um, you know, which is a common Mm -hmm. thing because Mm -hmm. I looked so functional. I was, you know, the kid who won, like, most likely to be a minister. And I mean, the, the things I won were just these hilarious, like, teachers really like you award. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. And so, um. Yeah, I started showing signs at the age of 12. And then when I was 19, um, I moved out of my parents' house and into the dorm, which was a four-minute walk from my parents' house. Um, So my dad was uh, a a professor at Andrews University, and I went there for my freshman year. And all of a sudden, everything came into question, you know, all of these small things about our faith and about lifestyle um, that I had just accepted straight up, you know, Mm. things about diet or dress or, you know, I didn't have to question anything big or meaningful. Jesus has always made sense to me. Salvation has always made sense to me. Um, you know, treating each other well, the 10 commandments, they all make sense to me, but then all these smaller things that I was trying to figure out, um, just, left me in a very complex position of just totally doubting myself and who I was. And, um, I was working late at night, you know, I was working at the front desk until three in the morning. And then, you know, I was dating a guy who really wanted me me to be thinner. And also I wanted me to be thinner, you know, this wasn't all Mm -hmm. his idea. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, so I was, um, yeah, really bogged down in self image issues, Mm -hmm. anorexia, And so it was then when I was 18 or 19, my freshman year in college, spring semester, I had a complete breakdown um, and just was like crying and singing really loudly all over campus. And um, again, nothing big or terrible happened, um, but 
people became concerned. Mm. And I had started seeing a therapist when I was 16 um, for the anorexia issues. And here I was at 18 or 19. And um, so, yeah, I was diagnosed and my parents were terrified. The doctor had no idea how to communicate them with them about this in a way that would not just scare them to death. So mm. since then, I have had many wonderful psychiatrists. Um, anyway, so where, where I've ended up with today uh, is I do have a wonderful psychiatrist um, and I have a therapist. This is the way I live my life, okay? <laughs> so I've been... You know, at the beginning, everyone seemed to tell me like, oh, you don't want to be on meds. You're going to be a whole different person and you'll never be yourself again. And it really scared people. Um, so I don't know. Am I going the right direction? Yeah. Or do you have oh, any yeah. other questions? No, definitely. <laughs> and, and I like how, how you bring up because I feel like the stigma has come down a lot over the last few years about having a therapist and, and taking charge of mental health. And I feel like probably when you were going through all this, it wasn't, was it similar to how it is today or was it a lot more difficult to talk about mental health issues? I mean, my mom was just scared. You know, she said, um, let's see, uh, I don't know what you most need to hear, but, uh, the, my psychiatrist, um, when he sat me down and really didn't know anything about me, uh, another doctor diagnosed me and then I got handed off to this second doctor and he just said, like, he told my parents, if you don't, if Laura doesn't start taking medication today, she will be a prostitute in six months. And I was like the sweetest little Seventh-day Adventist virgin, <laughs> such a good kid. I was such a good kid. So my parents were just terrified. Um, and sure enough, these are, what, okay, so what does bipolar mean? It means when you're high, you are sometimes just very productive and very happy, or it can also manifest in um, lowered inhibition. So it can manifest in promiscuity, mm. in anger, in violence, um, in what a crazy acting out, spending huge amounts of money. And then in the lows, you just get lower and lower until you really believe the world would be better off without you and that mm -hmm. you're doing everyone a favor if you can find a way to disappear. So, um, this is how it works. So, you know, my psychiatrist wasn't exactly wrong, except that he didn't know our situation at all. And since then I have found wonderful doctors who do understand my culture and my faith and, you know, what the highs mean to me is basically that I just wear myself out or mm. I get controlling. Like, I'm like, look, I'm doing so good. Everybody else should just line up and do all the things <laughs> I'm doing that. So my highs aren't very dangerous. Um, but my lows are, I mean, that's where the, that's where the bad stuff comes in. And, um, so yeah, listen, yes. Uh, you know, so 20 years ago when I got diagnosed, my mom said, don't let anyone know or you'll never get a job. You, and, and I think that may have been true at one point, um, mm. but that has not been true for me. People, when I tell my story, honestly, people seem to trust me even more, which, mm. you know, this is the bizarre uh, truth about vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And 
tell me a little bit about how you've been able to incorporate this into your music. And um, I, I watched your your press kit online um, with the song Table for One. It's, I was almost in tears by the end of it. Um, how have you been able to bring awareness and also help people who may be going through similar situations um, through your music? I, I think that the American culture is set up that you should be able to have a nine to five um, and that you should be able to also like balance your work life with your home life. Or it's even set up that if you overwork, you almost have even more respect. Um, Mm -hmm. I think this is really tricky. And what we've had to learn um, is that, and this is, I think, one of the basic pillars of emotional health is your life on your life's terms. Mm -hmm. And partly because of the medication I take, but partly this is who I am. I need eight to 12 hours of sleep a day. Mm. And the part of the difficulty of bipolar is it's hard to fall asleep. And so I remember, you know, 10 years into this diagnosis, my husband looked at me and said, you know what, honey, what if you skip the nine to five and whenever you go to bed, we'll try to get you to bed on time. But if you can't sleep, you're going to sleep until you wake up. Mm. And I cannot tell you what a stabilizing thing this was for me that we just, I don't work mornings. Mm-hmm. I just don't do that anymore. Once in a while, if there's a big event, I can get myself up. But on a regular basis, that messes with my head. And you know what? It's embarrassing in on many levels. Like, okay, I am sorry. I am not a person who can get up. And people sometimes get like really frustrated with me. They'll be like, well, but can I take you to breakfast? And I'm like, no, going to need that to be lunch. Um, so, you know, like, uh, so a lot of it is about your life on your life's terms. And so mm-hmm. I told this story on three ABN several years ago and I got a phone call and it was a minister, a retired minister. And he said, I am so glad you said that out loud because i I felt bad about this my whole career that I just wasn't a morning person. And Mm -hmm. anyway, yeah. So what basically all I do is tell my story the way I'm telling it to you now. I tell people that I now take medication twice a day, every day. I tell people now that I see my psychiatrist quarterly and I see my therapist average once a week. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's twice a week. A few months I'll go without it if, if something, you know, if we're switching medications or switching whatever. Um, but I try to be in at least once, once, once a week. And then the last part of staying well, um, with my illness. And I think with most emotional health is allowing, choosing some very trustworthy people in your life who can tell you when you're being weird. Mm. I mean, and this is where a lot of people struggle. Um, but it's a relief. And I, again, I think dealing with mental and emotional illness is very, is very beautifully put when God talks about the body of Christ, that if we are sharing our, our, what we can give and we're sharing what isn't working in our lives and we're allowing people to, you know, mostly what church does is we uphold each other. We Mm -hmm. love on each other, you know, love always advise seldom, Mm -hmm. condemn never. But Mm -hmm. I think for people with emotional illness, mental illness, the uh, advice part, we have to take very seriously. Hmm. And not not everybody gets to advise because people will be weird. But my husband, if he comes to me and says something's not right, 
um, he has every right to put me in the car and take me to the doctor. That mm-hmm. is our agreement. Mm-hmm. And I, I've never had to be hospitalized again. Now, for people who need to be hospitalized, please go to the hospital. I mean, it's actually a very safe place at most hospitals. And, you know, they teach you a lot of skills so so you can function outside of the hospital. Um, but I believe a big part of what keeps me stable is, you know, prayer and then the meds and then this. I think a lot of people want to say to you, like, well, why don't you stop taking meds and just pray more? <laughs> or, right? Oh, I hate that. Yes, it's so true. Or, why do you need to go to a therapist when you have a pastor? Oh, and I, please. My an- <laughs> right? Here's my answer. My answer is, why wouldn't I do it all? Yeah. Why does it have to be either or, either yeah. prayer or meds? No, I want to do it all as much as I can, you know, like, Hey, if I have a pastor who's really helpful, sure. Mm -hmm. If the pastor, you know, is willing to spend some time with me, great. And then what, then why would I skip the therapist? Let's do that too. If we really want to be in a position where we can serve our community and show up for our children and show up for our marriage, let's do everything we can. Sure. Better diet? Great. Am I bad at that one? Yeah. So um, I can't lean on yeah. that in my life right now because I'm just not there. So I, I it, let's play the yes and mm. instead of either or when it comes to emotional health. Yeah. Amen. I completely agree. So what would you tell someone in the last few seconds that we have here um, who may be either pre-diagnosis or, or just diagnosed with a mental disorder? What would you tell them? What kind of hope would you give them? I would tell them that um, the the clearer you are that there is something wrong, the more you can do to be well. And don't believe the lie that taking the meds will make you less yourself. In my life, taking the meds makes me more myself. Hmm. Each moment, I am more myself. I am able to overcome a lot of the difficulties. I'm sad to tell you that. Um, bipolar, the divorce rate is up close to the 90s when a bipolar person is involved in a marriage. And I want you to know that I've now been married to my husband for 19 years. And that's only because, again, I have allowed the people around me to help me do everything it takes to be well. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so this is the thing that don't be afraid to accept all the help. And yeah, yeah, that's what I have to say. And, uh, don't people won't love you less if you tell them the truth. They usually love you more. Yeah. <laughs> they really do. That's good. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for sharing and uh, and and using your platform to help other people um, who are going through similar situations and uh, and being such a such a beacon of hope and light in that in that space. So thank you. You are welcome. You can contact me anytime on Facebook. Um, I think my big work there is to help be a bridge between people who aren't ready for help and people who want to get there. So um, anyway, feel free to write to me if you're not sure if you're ready to get help. I'd love to help talk you through that. Such an inspiring story. And uh, that's really good advice, too. I mean, even if you're not dealing with something like bipolar disorder, don't be afraid to let people help you. I know I need to take that advice to heart. Uh, Speaking of help, though, next week you'll get to meet someone who has a huge role in getting this podcast from me to you every single week. 
In next week's episode, I talk with Michelle Jefferson, the administrative assistant at the Lawrenceburg Church and the leader of our Celebrate Recovery program. She's the one who actually puts the episodes online, sends out the emails, so I'm very grateful for her, and I know that you are too. But in this conversation, you'll hear her incredible testimony of hope and grace. It's one you won't want to miss, and here's a teaser to pique your interest for next week. My stepmother would think, well, you know, her grandparents are picking her up. I'm going to just leave her outside with her suitcase, and I'm going to take off for the weekend. And so she did. Um, there were, I, I can't even count, I lost count how many weekends I spent outside waiting for her. I mean, it was enough that the neighbors would come over and bring games with me and play with them until my grandparents wow. showed up. That conversation will be released next week, right here on Stories of Faith and Hope. Make sure you subscribed on whatever platform you're listening to this episode on so you don't miss Michelle's story and other future episodes of this show. You can find out more information and find links to other platforms on our website, faithandhoperadio.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Faith and Hope Radio. Music for this episode was provided by Dexter Britton under the Creative Commons license. I hope you have an amazing day, and until next week, have faith and hope.